You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, friends. Welcome to this tradition unlike any... Did somebody scream mashed potatoes? That was mashed. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to episode number three five of Big Drive Energy. I am your co-host Spencer Smith, here with my brother, the legend, aka Big Drive Mitch Mitchell Smith. And of course, this pod is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Mitch, what's up, brother? What's happening, man? We uh, like most people in Colorado. We've had a snow weekend. Um, or we did have a snow weekend, so I've had the last four days off, which has been absolutely ideal. <clears throat> I know you had to go into work today, but we both had three days off, and that rarely happens for us, so it was pretty nice. Yeah, a three-day weekend on an actual weekend was pretty choice. Cheese! Especially with the players, being able to just camp out and watch that shit, and all the college b-ball. I was just in heaven the entire weekend. Yeah, it was a great weekend, other than our Iowa Hawkeyes losing to Illinois. Whatever, it's fine. And the Nuggets losing. <laughs> and and they, who, else did, who else lost? Yeah, they lost on Saturday. Avs aren't losing to anybody right now, which is it's great. No, they're, they're balling out. But any who's. Uh, so the yeah, players, so, let's, let's yeah. discuss the players and some interesting storylines. First of all, I have a bone to pick with Victor Hovland's mom. Um, so if you guys didn't see this on Friday, he basically was marking his ball and you know, if you mark your ball and you're in somebody else's way and you're playing super ethereal and you're like in a tournament and, uh, you, you, you're in somebody else's way, you have to move the ball mark, usually a putter length, sometimes two putter lengths. If you're right in their line and you're, you're putting a dinner plate out there in front of somebody else's line. So Usually what you do is you pick a spot off in the distance and you measure your putter length and then you move your ball marker over. Well, you have to replace that. And usually, I'm not saying, that I, I believe it was Justin Thomas he was playing with. I'm not saying it's Justin Thomas's fault or he should even care, to be honest with you. But usually, I always forget. And the people you're playing with will usually remind you and be kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a cordial etiquette Yeah, it's, thing. it's definitely a courtesy thing, like to remind your, if you ask him to move it, at least you can remind them to move it back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's my thing is if I'm going to move it for you, it's not complete. I mean, it's on me, but it's not completely on me to remember to move it back because I'm doing you a favor and I'm trying to worry about my own golf right now. So, yeah, that that was kind of on his playing partners also. Yeah, so anyways, Victor Hovland ends up 
not he ends up moving let's say he was going to the right tree he ends up moving his ball further towards the right tree to putt instead when he marked it or yeah and moving his marker further toward that right tree that palm tree at the beautiful tpc sawgrass instead of moving it back on the line that he was supposed to and so he totally didn't he spaced it i mean I think one of the things that's a little misinterpreted about professional golfers in general, and I'm not saying he didn't know the rule because he obviously took the penalty on the nose and was fine with it afterwards and felt, according to a source, said he felt very uncomfortable watching it, and that's why he was fully comfortable taking the penalty. But a lot of the professional golfers like know the rules of golf, like the general rules, but other than like Bryson and a few other guys on tour, they're really just like really good at golf, and they don't... I mean, they care about the rules because they have to, but they're not like super strict rules guys, and they like to go play out, play golf for fun and not have rules as well. So basically, long story short, he moved it the wrong way, and his mom, why I have a problem with her, is because she called him in the parking lot, and he didn't even get to leave the golf course. She just called him in the parking lot, and ended up telling him that he moved his ball mark the wrong way and putted from it. So he went from the parking lot back into the scoring area and kind of called the penalty on himself. Uh, luckily, if you're calling a penalty, so another kind of tricky rule in golf is if you sign for a score that is under what you shot. So let's say you shot, or let's say, yeah, let's say you shot 70, like let's Victor Hovland, I think he shot 72 or 74 that day after the penalty. So he technically signed his card for a 72. And normally, if you sign your card for a lower score than you actually received, you're disqualified. But I think in on the PGA Tour, at least, if you go back in and you basically call a rule rules infraction on yourself, you can go back in and change that scorecard. And the reason that sucks is because, of course, in my DraftKings picks, I had Victor Hovland. And who knows what he would have done on the weekend, but... That two-stroke penalty wasn't just the difference of, you know, being four under versus two under, making the weekend and, and seeing what happens from there. That was the difference between him playing on the weekend and making the cut and not playing on the weekend. So it out actually, you know, it cost me $10, one unit in the DraftKings Sportsbook, but it actually cost him a minimum of $31,000 because Nate Lashley, our boy who finished... Uh, dead last, but making the cut dead last made a made a paycheck of thirty thousand one hundred or thirty nine or thirty one thousand dollars essentially. So, and yeah, it cost Victor other, at least thirty one k. Well, one other thing too is, is um, like Victor Perez. I don't know if you saw that storyline, but like you said, you never know what can happen on the weekend. Victor Perez had to come back out on Saturday morning because I think he couldn't finish due to darkness on uh friday and he had to make he made a 24 foot par putt to make the cut on the number and then he proceeded to shoot seven or eight under on the weekend and finished tied for ninth and made three hundred and forty thousand dollars what an so yeah that's incredible that's honestly it's amazing 24 footer to make the cut and then you play your way into it and you finish top 10 and make uh a fatty paycheck off of he was probably had his flight booked for a little later Saturday morning. Like I'm ready to get out of here, you know, but that's, that's just the never die mentality that some of these guys have. And, uh, it definitely panned out for Perez. So, you know, like you said, you, you just don't know, especially in tournaments like the players where, uh, scoring is not like crazy low where there is, if you make the cut, and you have a really good weekend, you can win. There's some tournaments where the leaders 17, 18 under through two days. And if you make the cut on the number three under, you know, you basically have no shot unless the, the field kind of comes back to you. But in a lot of cases it doesn't. Um, but in the case of the players championship where guys really don't go that low and 68 is a really good score out there. If you can throw out a 66 or a 65 and play the round of your life, then you're gaining a lot of ground on the field. So uh, the players is one of those interesting events. Well, that was like Cam, our boy cousin, our cousin Cam Smith. He he was right around the cut line, I believe, or even par right at the cut line. 
ended up firing the the low of the tournament on Saturday, the low round, and he ended up finishing tied for 17th and made himself over $220,000. So like kind of like you're speaking to the same story he had the low round on saturday i think he played i think he was even par one over i want to say on sunday but one round after just making the cut line and like you said have the round of your life or just a really solid round on a really tough golf course like tpc sawgrass and you're making yourself 220k and feeling pretty good about it yeah so let's talk a little bit about uh justin thomas's final uh final round 68 he hit the ball phenomenal. The way it, it, it just was like really some old school golf because you were seeing him working the ball hard, right to left, left to right, and he's got that in his game, which is awesome and a lot of fun to watch. Um, that five wood on eighteen was super, super fucking close to being bad. I mean, I'm, I would never root for a ball to go in the water, but it would have been a lot of fun if he would have made five and. And basically, I mean, Lee Westwood ended up finishing one back, correct? So uh, there could have been a lot of different scenarios there. But somehow the ball landed on a slope going straight towards the water and managed to kick right when it was duck hooking about 70 yards. I mean, it was controlled. He definitely overhooked it a bit. But uh, everybody kind of saw JT's reaction. He gave it a shrug and like a, like a yikes face. Like, holy shit, I could have just cost myself the tournament there. But yeah, that was a pretty impressive, uh, pretty impressive finishing stretch for him. He just hit the ball so damn good. And big props to Lee Westwood. I got to give myself a shout out here. Um, I had him. What was he? Plus six fifty to top ten. Plus nine hundred. Oh, he's plus nine hundred. Okay, so I had Lee Westwood top ten in, um, and he once again finished second this week. He has back to back runner up finishes on the PGA Tour. And everybody's like, oh, you really got a feel for Lee Westwood. Um, I do, sure. But he just made $2.5 million in two weeks and didn't win either week. So I think he can feel okay about his little Florida swing. Uh, I know, obviously, winning is the, the main priority. But fuck, man, $2.5 million bucks, I'd take that. I would do anything for two weeks for $2.5 million. It's <laughs> like I can't. There's nowhere I would draw the line. Yeah, well, speaking of money, well, you're talking about money won for Lee Westwood. And even though he won the week before and we, we gave him his props, Bryson DeChambeau, he lipped out a putt on 18 uh, that would have ended up tying him for second. And it doesn't seem like that big of a deal when you're just casually watching the tournament. But when you follow golf as close as we do and know what that means, that ended up costing him almost $400,000 on one putt. Well, so, so wait, sec, wait, real quick. Second got paid what a million and a half. Second was one point six three five, and third was eight eighty five. So basically, he would have split two, two point. Yeah, two it cost point, him about four hundred. Yeah, he would have split two point four with Westwood instead of just eight. Instead of splitting one point six with Brian Harmon. Can we talk about real quick how fucking crazy it is? The purses now on the PGA Tour, like it felt like. Two years ago, it was 1.6. 1. I remember when the players, I mean, it's still the highest paying or biggest purse, but I remember it feels like two or three years ago, guys were making 1.6 to 1.8 per win. And now you're talking $2.5 million for a win? Like, that is nuts. That is so much money for one golf tournament. Like, I, I really don't know how the players builds up that big of a purse. But yeah, so is, uh, so two year, uh, 2018 when Webb Simpson won the players, he won under $2 million. And yeah. second place was 821000 So wow. that, that's doubled in three years. Yeah, and it, it baffles me. I, the fact that there hasn't been any fans at tournaments and everything. I mean, I don't know if the TV numbers are through the roof or what, but these purses are getting ridiculous. And... In a, a year, um, I mean, the state every other sport is in where uh, salary caps are being cut and, you know, revenue is being lost. It feels like professional golf is going in the opposite direction. It just doesn't uh, equate to across to different sports. So, yeah, that that is nuts, man. Two, what was it, $2.6 to the winner? Yeah. Good God. 
Well, yeah, that's that's something. Something. Uh, so basically, kind of one of the main main reasons for our main topics of our pod today is we're going to give you guys a few little clues on as you know as professional teachers on how to not be so nervous on the golf course because there was a a very clear sign of nerves and he admitted to it and he knows it and that's the thing is a lot of these golfers know that they're nervous and that's how you we've seen it in all professional sports but and I think we have talked about it before but the amount of nerves that can change your golf game versus any other sport that I've ever played you know competitively is it's it's second to none how intense golf is and i'll let you get into a little bit of it um the guy that was actually paired with justin thomas on the final day and a guy you've played a fair amount of golf with actually back way back in the day before you even probably had hair in your armpits or he he you know anything like that but so doug gim uh was 10 under going into sunday and i'll let you talk a little bit about doug and what you saw when you played with him even almost 10 years ago now a decade now in the junior rider cup academy in florida well yeah so one other thing that uh we wanted to touch on real quick was talking about 17 um before oh, yeah. we talk about doug um but yeah what what did you think of 17 because i personally if a pro's got a wedge in his hand then there's no hole too hard for him in my opinion that mm-hmm. it, they're they're on the PGA tour. Come on. Yeah, like I, I think um, our boy RK texted us and he was like, in reference to seventeen today, do you think there do you guys think there's such thing as a hole being too hard for pros? Um and he said, I'm of the belief that there should be holes like this that separate the field and I think we're all on the same page there. I saw a lot of people on Twitter, this is a clown hole, this should shouldn't be in a tournament like the players, blah blah blah. That is literally one of the best golf holes in the world. And yeah, it's tough, but these are the best players in the world. You're playing against each other. They all have to play the same hole. Yeah, uh, Byung-Hun on, I think, made an 11 on a, on a par 3. It happens. Tough Golf's a tough game, tough hole. but I, Tough break, pal. Tough break, pal. You've hit six in the water, but I've done it. We've all done it. But no, I don't. I really don't think that. I don't agree with that take. That's just like I don't. I don't. You can't really relate it to any other sport. That's like saying you put the walls in an MLB stadium too high, or I don't even know. Like, well, yeah, it, it's like the old. The kind of if you're equating it to baseball, everybody wants to see home runs, and a home run on seventeen is somebody stuffing it. Chances at a hole in one, they. You know, when they've got the, the fences up and move back and it's tougher to hit homers, it's more challenging from a baseball perspective. And the fans don't love it, but the people who clip one and hit one 450 and do make it out of the park deserve that more than anybody else. You know what I mean? And just like you said, everybody's playing the same hole. Everybody, baseball-wise, is playing in the same ballpark. So while the fans might not love it, I totally agree with RK that there is holes that need to set the field apart. The only shitty thing about golf, and it's that way in any outdoor sport, is if conditions change. So if one guy plays it, and it's just luck of the draw, but if one guy plays it, I mean, if the wind would have been 20, 30 miles an hour downwind, it may have been impossible to keep it on the green. Like they're, they would have had to put water on it. And that's the other thing too, is the maintenance crew, the superintendent's job is to make sure it's tough, but it's playable. So they never would have let it get to that point where it was literally unplayable, but the conditions do change. And I would, I would probably bet that most of those guys would prefer to play that hole into the wind because it's so much easier to land the ball soft on the green and make it stop versus playing it downwind where you have like a three to maybe five yard gap where you can land it where it's going to stay on the green if it's straight down so yeah it's a tough hole but at the same time and if it was like 210 yards then i get it but these guys are hitting gap wedge sand wedge pitching wedge maybe a nine iron uh and they're on the pga tour so don't tell me a hole is too hard i'm sorry but just just can't go there with me. Yeah, especially a par three that, like you said, is no more than a nine iron for all these players. Yeah. Like, come on. 
Exactly. So anybody who wants to complain about that, then they can take a hike. Um, but so, yeah, on the subject of Doug Gim. So funny quote from Doug Gim to start this off. Somebody asked him a question and, he, and they said, obviously you're in great position going into Sunday. When you think, when you see this leaderboard filled with Europeans, filled with Americans who have been Ryder Cup guys, I mean, this would be a new experience for you. But have you thought about the fact that you grew up watching the Ryder Cup, right? So, I mean, do you think that it would be kind of like a preview of the Ryder Cup version when you see who is up on that leaderboard? Garcia, Westwood, DeChambeau, Thomas. I mean, those are the guys that you expect to see in the Ryder Cup. But would you talk about that element to it, even though we can't? We probably can't put you there quite yet, but just the idea of being with those Ryder Cup guys tomorrow battling. And Doug Gim looked at the camera and just and goes, yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm like 257th in the world right now. <laughs> so yeah so, that, that that is an awesome quote great sense so of humor from him yeah he, he was definitely a down-to-earth dude so i actually didn't get to play directly with him i played in groups behind him i mean we messed around on the putting green we did drills together all that kind of thing down there but all i know is that dude is one of the best he, he's probably the best player i've ever watched play i mean that was on I, – I've watched the PGA Tour, don't get me wrong. But I knew when he was 16 he was going to be just ridiculously special. Um, he – when we were down in Florida, he had the chance to set, like, two different course records in the span of four days. And it was a match play format. So he had – he was playing this guy named DJ uh, straight up in a match play format. And Doug was eight under through 13 – and DJ was four under through 13, and he cl- he got closed out on 13. Imagine being four under in a match play through 13 and getting closed out. Uh, what What is that, five and four, f- uh, six and five? So Doug, or maybe Doug was nine under, but he was just going stupid low. He probably would have had a chance at breaking 60. And when the match was over, he just uh, packed up his stuff and took a ride inside like, he did not care, and he's played in – that's the other thing, too, is he's played in Walker Cups, which is basically the Ryder Cup version uh, for amateur golf. Um, in Amer- he's, he's represented America there. He's played in the junior players. He played at Texas, which is a very highly touted college golf school, and he's played on a lot of big stages. And he said that nothing even came close to comparing to the nerves – that he fell on Sunday at the players, which is totally understandable. But it just it, it blows your mind when you see players like that. He's 24 years old. He's been playing competitive golf for, I mean, you got to think at least 12 to 14 years. And he's played on some of the biggest stages in America um, at the junior level, college, collegiate level. And he's had some high finishes on the PGA Tour, but just this – the way the players is seen on tour in such a different light than other tournaments. I mean, they call it the fifth major. And he said he was on four play pod today. Um, and he mentioned that he forgot, uh, to drink water <laughs> because he was that nervous. And I've been there before, but it, yeah, it, I mean, I can't even wrap my head around what was going through his mind, um, on that Sunday because, he was ten, like he was leading the tournament, or he, what was he one or two back? He was like leading that. the tournament at, at some point on Saturday. Yeah, like halfway through the round Saturday, and the guy can strike the ball. He's it's evident he can play at the highest level, but being on that stage for the first time is unlike anything, and I've never been in that position. Um, but I can only imagine what's going through your head at that point. I. It's it's something that I can't even wrap my head around, but uh, good for Doug. I mean, that's the biggest thing. We've talked about it before is just the experience you gain from that is unbelievable because he will be able to go to that stage next time and say, I've been there, I've done this. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not new to me. So that is kind of the biggest deal when we talk about pressure. And we, I think we have talked about it a little bit before, but just getting into that experience, like if you're afraid to go put in a tournament, do it. Just go do it. You know, you, you have to start somewhere. Everybody starts somewhere. But if you really want to improve your game and 
really be able to control your nerves at some point down the line, then you have to play in tournament golf because there is no amount of practice and preparation you can do that can prepare. And I think we've talked about it before, but you watch guys in the NBA, they stand on the free throw line. Dwight Howard's a 90% free throw shooter in practice. And then you get him in the game, he's a 40, 50% free throw shooter. So it really is comparable in the way of uh, you can do something a million times in practice, but until you do it on the the biggest stage or your biggest stage, then you're, you're really going to probably struggle in that situation, and that's just the reality of it. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about his amateur career, he was a three-time All-American at Texas. He played with Bo Hostler and Scotty Scheffler, who are both on tour now at Texas. He, uh, he finished runner-up in the U.S. Amateur in 2017, He's been a low, low amateur at the Masters. Like he's so like he's had an extremely decorated amateur career, and like then he played on the Corn Ferry Tour, and he had to get up and down on a finishing hole to secure his PGA Tour card, and he did. He got up and down, and then basically like, like he had a ten footer to punch his ticket to go to the tour, and he did it, and. Then, like, he, luckily for him, you know, COVID, like, we've said some, COVID in the game of golf has helped a lot of people, and I don't think there's uh, a lot better stories out there than um, Doug Gim, because, like, when he, so last year was his first full year on tour with his card, and Harry Higgs and Scotty Scheffler, one of his own teammates, like, were super successful early on, and he made only five cuts in 16 events, and he was outside the top 50 in the FedEx Cup standings, which you don't, normally means you got to go back down to the Corn Ferry. Outside and, one top 150? Top, I think, no, it's one, 125. No, it's, it was 150. Huh. Um, well, he finished. Uh, it's top 125, but he finished outside the one top 150. Oh, yeah, because you get, like, preferential status, or you get some status yeah. um, if you're inside the 150. Right, but... Since of it was a COVID year, and he basically had an all they had a PGA Tour had an altered schedule. He got an adv- he got a reprieve from the tour, and basically now this season he's not he's made nine cuts in twelve events, has six top twenty fives, and is currently sixty fifth in the FedEx Cup. So imagine if last year there was no COVID and it was a regular schedule, he would have he would have basically be back on the Corn Ferry Tour. So pretty pretty insane story, like we talked about earlier with making putts and doing this and that that makes you hundreds of thousands of dollars how slim the margin of error really is for him it was huge to his entire career oh yeah and we've talked about it before also but the there's such a a razor sharp thin if that's a term a razor thin distance between guys that are out on mini tours and then even to the web.com tour, Canadian well, Canadian tour, and then the Corn Ferry tour, and then the PGA tour. There's guys that you've never heard their name that if they were given the opportunity could possibly win on the PGA tour. And it is just nuts. There's thousands and thousands of guys that are just crazy, crazy talented that could go out and pretty much win any week, but you have to be on the PG tour in order to play in those events to win them. And I, I don't know if we've actually talked about this too. And I don't know if you think this is a hot take or not, but I actually think the PG tour, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's, it's the most cushy lifestyle. It is most set up for you to succeed. Let's put it that way. Every city you roll into, um, you can stay in the nicest hotels. You have, Everything at your disposal. You have a chiropractor. You have a physical trainer. You have probably your mental coach there. Probably your swing coach there. You've got every equipment rep out there. If you want to tinker with different putters every week, you probably have a track man or two track mans. Who knows? To the tune of twenty five, thirty thousand dollars each. Um, the courses are set up the most consistent of anywhere. The greens week in week out are fairly. They, they don't vary a lot in speed, so these guys can really get dialed in on speed week to week, no matter what. I mean, you still have to read grain and read, read the greens themselves, but we all know speed is such a huge factor, and these guys get to play on consistent speeds every week. 
every uh, the conditions are amazing almost every week you never hardly hear somebody say oh the conditions of the golf course were awful like literally golf courses plan their season around if they're hosting a pga tour event so you know they're in tip-top shape and just everything is working in the player's favor so in to be able to, if you can keep your tour card, that is the biggest thing you can do because you have the opportunity that next year. You win one time that, that next year, you have a two-year exemption, and then the ball really rolls from there. So the that's the, the toughest thing is getting to the PGA Tour. And then once you're on tour, you throw out a couple of pretty good finishes, you're probably going to keep your card and, and live this pretty cushy lifestyle. Speaking of living a pretty cushy lifestyle, you, too, can also live a pretty cushy lifestyle by winning some March Madness bets with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated app. Also, using your nine units we just won you this this past weekend on Lee Westwood and parlaying that into some winners for March Madness. So for those new clients, we all know that March's biggest tournament and the most fun tournament in probably a couple weeks of sports is finally here and DraftKings is putting you right in the middle of the action all you have to do is bet four dollars on one underdog in the mar- in the first round of the March Madness bracket and if they win you win two hundred and fifty six dollars that's sixty four to one odds on an underdog so find a nine seed find an eight seed that you think is gonna win this week place a four dollar bet when you sign up using the code DNVR you could start that account with two hundred and fifty six dollars I know Kylie, my fiance. she started with one of these free bets on DraftKings. Her balance is currently bigger than mine, and I've made a few deposits. She's up probably 50, 60, 70 units for what she bets. She's betting on the Nuggets. She's betting on the Avs. She's betting on Nathan McKinnon to score goals. She's betting on Miko Rantanen to score goals. She's betting on Will Barton threes every game. She's killing it. So all you need to do is bet $4 and turn that into $256.00. If one underdog in the, that you pick in March Madness wins. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use that promo code DNVR when you sign up, and you can turn a measly $4, some pocket change, into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. And then it's to the moon from there with that $256. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older in Colorado only the best state in the world, new customers only as well. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, so we know our boy Doug Gim was super nervous, and he's played in a lot of big events before. And I think we'll start out with just the foundation of saying, and you already said it, but just reiterating the, most impo- the best way to get yourself better at this game of golf and not be nervous is by playing in tournaments. I'll tell you what. I go out to a course and have a fun round, have a few drinks, which also helps the nerves, and I shoot 72, 74, something like that, something you know respectable. I can go out to that same course the next day, same conditions, same pin placements. All I know is that it's a tournament in my mind, and I'm firing 84, 85. So I think the one thing that you can do for yourself, whether it's competitions with your friends for a little money you know we're all gamblers we like to gamble obviously we're on the DraftKings Sportsbook app you can get in there and get gamble with your friends if you're losing a few dollars that you may not have to lose it may make you nervous and may help your golf game Um, but what are some other things that you would recommend to people out there looking to get better at the game of golf that have already been playing it but feel like if they get nervous everything goes to hell in a handbasket so, yeah, real quick, one quote from Lee Trevino regarding the gambling um, scenario is pressure, the quote is, pressure is playing for $5 when you only have $3 in your pocket. And that is kind of how a lot of these guys grew up that were not very affluent. They would gamble, and they really didn't have the money to gamble. They just knew they had to win. <laughs> so that's that's definitely some sort of pressure to put on yourself, but... For the average player, I would say one of the biggest things um, to try to ward off uh, nervousness and things of that nature is going to be having a really solid routine and sticking with that routine, Uh, whether it's a pre-shot routine, whether it's a putting routine, um, 
if you're a little, I, I wouldn't say superstitions come into it, but uh, just try to really solidify and get comfortable in that routine because if you get out of sorts and you don't have a routine, you're going to end up either taking too long standing over it, you're like, oh, fuck, swing the club, or you're going to get over it and just not think and just hit it. And so building that consistency is such a huge thing to lean on when you're in a tough spot. You know, you take a step behind the ball, you take a deep breath, you pick a target line, you take one practice swing, and you get in and you go. And I'm not saying that's the perfect routine, but some sort of conciseness where concisiveness, I'm sorry, I don't know if conciseness is a word, um, but where you make a decision, you pick your spot, you do you do your routine, and then you go. You know, there's no second guessing. There's just a, a commitment thing. And that's, that is another really big thing that a lot of amateur golfers struggle with so hugely is not picking a ball flight. And if they can control it or not, that's a different story. But at least having a, a shot shape in mind, you know, that's what a lot of people struggle with. They stand over it and they're like, oh, God, don't hook it. They're, they're like, okay, I want to hit like a baby drawer. I want to fade this, whatever. You, you need to focus more on what you want to do. And that's why if you have a decision made up and you can stick to a routine, then you can live with the results. But if you're standing over a shot saying to yourself, oh, fuck, please don't hit it in the water, there's a decent chance you're going to hit it in the water. Because that's just how golf works. It's just out to get you. So what do you think, Spencer? I mean, that's one of my biggest things. Yeah, so having a routine is huge. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. It doesn't have to be seven practice swings. But just something that you can fall back on. It's just like Nomar Garcia-Para at the plate. There's a whole bunch of athletes out there that have been really successful that do the same thing. And that's a lot of things that we can't even see, like in the locker room. I guarantee you there's a lot of players that eat the same pregame meal. Or they have a really breakout game and they did something different and that becomes their new routine. So having a routine is definitely the biggest thing. Like I said, it doesn't mine's mine is not fast, but it's it's the same thing every single time. And it gets you into that comfortable state where you're hitting the golf shot. But to piggyback more off of what you said, you kinda of took my other really good one, is really being committed to a shot, but visualizing success. You have to say, I'm going to hit this ball on the green, like on 17 at Sawgrass, instead of looking at the water and saying, don't hit the ball in the water, you have to kind of talk yourself. It's like a self, golf is a big self-fulfilling prophecy. And I haven't been in that mode a few, uh, many times as far as putting goes, I should say, but there's, there's been a couple times where I've made a few putts and, and the hole looks like it's the size of a garbage can. And I walked up to like a 25 bent foot bender and it just went in because I knew it was going in and I told myself it was going in. Now, that's not going to happen every time. But more often than not, when you're sitting there telling yourself, okay, the green's right there. I don't see the bunker on the right. I don't see the water on the left. I just want to hit the green. You're When you bring in those subtle thoughts into, into the back of your mind, they, they tend to become a lot bigger when you're making a golf swing because your golf swing from 90% of people that play any sort of competitive golf at all or even just want to get better shooting the 80s, shooting the 90s, whatever it is, you have a pretty consistent golf swing if you've been able to shoot under 100, if you've been able to shoot under 80 and you want to get into the 70s. But the key is to be consistent throughout the 18-hole round. And sometimes when I've played really good rounds of golf, I've felt almost mentally exhausted afterwards. And that's it sounds lame and it really does, but it, it's an honest truth. Like I, I was grinding over every shot and, and worrying about the next shot and not letting the the prior shot affect me, which I think is a huge thing too. Yeah, it, it really comes down to more mental than physical. And that's why the tournament experience is so huge. Because in a vacuum, you should be able to reproduce the swing that you make on the range out on the golf course, you know, that there shouldn't be a problem physically doing that, but it it is more of your mental capacity and your current mental state that can hold you back from actually performing that. And so it really just comes down to being there, getting the experience, but also building those routines and, and picturing yourself in tournaments on the range. You can't replicate it a hundred percent, but you can at least be like, okay, this shot's for this. You know, everybody's 
been on the putting green and hit a putt to win the Masters, you know, shit like that. But having that sort of routine, and like Spencer said, that I once you get to a point in golf, there's there's such a thing as undying confidence, and it really stems from knowing how good you are at golf and how good you're not at golf. Uh, if you are a 10 handicap and you expect to go out and shoot even par, you're going to be let down a hundred times out of a hundred. If you're a 10 handicap and you expect to go shoot 80, 82, 84, and you do that, then you should be happy with that because that's the player you are. So that is really the difference. And that is the biggest thief of joy in golf is expectations. People expect to play out of their, their head and, maybe one in every 15, 20 rounds that happens. But for every one really good round, you're going to have quite a few bad rounds and then some average ones here and there. So it's really just knowing how good you are and how good you're not. And that's, that's getting a little deep, but that's from like a sports psychology book that really stuck with me. And it's, uh, once you know what you can and can't achieve, and I'm not saying there's anything you, you can't achieve, but you have to be ready for it. You have to be ready for that stage. And once you're prepared, your time will come. And some people prepare quicker than others. Some guys win on tour when they're 22 and then some win when they're 35, you know, it's, it's running your own race type of deals. So don't let the, uh, the outside noise get to you when you fire that 95 at your club championship, you know, it happens to everybody. It's a stepping stone. And as long as you're learning from it and, and your game is growing, then you're moving in the right direction. Yeah, like like you said, it's it's a matter of like creating your own success. You Is success for you, sh- everybody shooting 72? No, it's not. For me in a tournament, maybe it is. But for somebody shooting 79, that's their success. And you have to, you have to temper those expectations 90% of the time when you're playing golf because you're going to shoot your best round ever and then you're going to think that that's your new expectation and that really lets you down in, in the game. You know, you have to realize, you have to kind of just more enjoy the process of golf a lot of the time rather than results. And if you focus more on the process versus the result every single time, because we've all had those rounds of golf where we felt like we played really good and our score wasn't great. And then you've had those rounds of golf where you felt like you played awesome, or excuse me, you played terrible, and your score wasn't that bad. It's kind of like, I think golf and hockey are related in that way where... A lot of other sports, you can get dominated and you lose. and Or if you dominate, you win. But hockey, you feel like you can dominate a whole game. I know the Avs have been doing this lately. They feel like they've been dominating games, shots on goal, etc. But they've still been losing some of these games. And golf is the same way. You can hit a bunch of shots, but you get a bunch of lucky bounces or you get you make a few long putts and it changes You know your whole, you know, missing a putt that would have gone past the hole by hitting the pin and it going in. Could have turned into a four putt and and totally changed your mental state of the game. So really keeping mentally engaged and really worrying about the next shot. I know it's super cliche, but having that routine and and really staying positive on the golf course, I think we saw that come to light at first hand with Max Homa a couple weeks ago when he got one of the worst lies I've ever seen off of not that bad of a tee shot. And he walked up to it, he was really calm, he was really collected, and he goes on to win the tournament. So being positive, and, and I something I like to do in rounds of golf is creating a fun situation out of a tough situation. Like you have a tough shot, challenge yourself to get better, and then next time, you know, when you have that tough shot, even if you don't hit that great of a shot there, you can maybe be better the next time. So really... In a challenging spot, whether that be behind a tree, challenge yourself to make a tough shot. Be like, all right, hey, I'm going to execute this shot, really focus in on it and execute it. And then you feel a lot better about A, your round that time, but also B, if you're ever put in that situation again, you can come out of the out of the other side better then, better better for it. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's having that attitude of just like you said, wanting to enjoy the experience and hitting different shots. And you can look at a tough break one of two ways. You're like, oh, I have this terrible lie behind this tree. It's like, well, I've never hit the shot before. Let's see if I can do it. You know, let's see what I got. As opposed to, oh, wow, this is horrible. And everybody gets negative here and there. But just maintaining a positive attitude 
it sounds so corny because we are not like that at all. We're, we will tell it like it is 99 times out of a hundred or a hundred times out of a hundred, but you almost have to have a, a, not a fake sense of positivity, but you have to keep yourself above because once you let yourself like start just plummeting, your golf score is going to do the exact same thing, but not, it's not going to go down. It's going to go up. So you have to, to maintain some sort of at the end of the day it's golf you know it's a game it's something we all do for fun it's none of our livings well it's kind of our living but it doesn't depend on what we shoot every day if it did then we'd be fucking hosed um but for most people it's a good time it's it's a way to get out those competitive juices at an age where we're in our 20s 30s 40s 50s however old you are and you're listening or even if you're a teenager you know, it's, it's just a really fun competitive game, but don't make it something it's not and go out there and enjoy yourself. Take a deep breath and you hit a bad shot, be pissed off, do whatever. But then 10 seconds later, it's on to the next shot. You know, there's no sh- more shot important, no, no shot more important than the next shot. And that's also very corny and cliche and platitude, but the, it, it really is the truth. Yeah, and so the next shot we're going to take, you guys, is we're going to go into our picks for this week, our DraftKings Sportsbook Pick of the Week for, excuse me, the Bear Trap, man. This is one of the tougher courses on tour. It's uh, each year in scoring, it's rated uh, the top, it's been rated the top three the last three years as, as in terms of hard courses uh, down at PGA National. Uh, we have the Bear Trap, 15, 16, 17, and then kind of an easy par 5 on 18, which makes for a lot of fun. Um, here's a hot hot take, but all golf courses should end on a par 5. I firmly believe that. The Valley of Fun does, of course, on both nines because it's just that good. We're just that prepared. But really, all I feel like all good golf courses end on a par 5 to make a really good chance at Eagle or a bogey if you're, you know, like at, um, oh, what's the course where Daniel Berger won? Like, a uh, uh, Pebble Beach, like it's just like it's a it's just How like you forget Pebble Beach. I don't know, God. dude. Oh, I'm honestly I'm so into this Florida swing the 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 tours got right now. It's it's great golf course after great golf course. We had TPC last week. We had the concession. We had Bay Hill. I mean, there's so many good golf courses on this little Florida swing leading up to the Masters. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts on on who wins this week and what are some of your picks? What are what are your picks of the week? <sighs> So my uh, DraftKings picks of the week here. So I'm going to give a top 10, a top 5, and a winner for you. So with a, a top, whew, okay, so Taylor Gooch, I'm going to roll with him for a top 10-er at plus 400. Well, you can uh, stop the, or slow down there because, uh, so we don't discuss these picks before. I also have Taylor Gooch, um, great name, um, and Speaking of Gooch, you can also save 20% off uh, manscaped.com using the code DNVR. <laughs> but Taylor Gooch, is, well done. Taylor Gooch is also on my top 20. He is plus 175. So we're all in on the Gooch this weekend. I'm a big Gooch guy. Big um, Gooch guy. Plus 400, top 10. Uh, he played well last week, kind of, kind of backdoored his way into the top 10. And then I've got a uh, familiar Colorado face. Uh, top five in this week, Mr. Wyndham Clark, one of the best putters, the best putter I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Uh, he's plus 1,200 to top five. And I remember distinctly last year, he was leading going into the final round at uh, the Honda Classic and didn't end up finishing it, but it was kind of the similar, sim- sim- sheesh, talk much, uh, similar situation that uh, Doug Gim was in this last week at the Players. He had never really been in that spot before on that kind of stage, and he didn't win, but he learned a hell of a lot from it, I'm sure. And he's going to come back this week and top five it, plus 1,200. And you know what? I am going to take Shane Lowry at plus 2,800 to win the golf tournament. I think he's had some pretty good finishes at the Bear Trap. If he hasn't, then I'm sorry. Um, I just like Shane Lowry. He's a fun dude to root for. He's played some good golf this year and some not good golf this year. 
So it kind of just depends on the week for him, but I like him plus 2,800 to uh, take home the trophy at the Bear Trap. All right, so rolling over to my pick, of course, Taylor Gooch, top 20. Um, his Also, he spells his name T-A-L-O-R, so very original, Steven, honestly. <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of going to... It kind of reminds me of, like, Talon. Yeah, I, I, it was, it's literally Talon with an R. That's exactly what I was hits, thinking about. It, it just hits different. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor Gooch hits different. Um, and I'm going to take kind of some cheese here, as our friends RK and uh, Andre like to call it on the DNVR Bet Show. Sun JM won this tournament last year. So I'm going to go that he's going to go back to back plus 1400 to win. And then I'm going to take him top 20 at minus 110. So obviously plays well here. He's been playing well. He's, this, is a, this is a double whammy. He's a horse for this course. He's already won here. knows what it takes to win here. And he's playing some really good golf without winning. We know how hard it is to win on the PGA Tour back-to-back weeks. I don't know how many times it's been done, but it's very been very little, especially since Tiger has been over his unreal, ungodly run. But I believe Sun JM's been playing good enough golf to be kind of in the field. He's been playing a lot of golf, a lot of good golf, and he is plus, what did I say, plus 1,400 to win the tournament. So take Sun JM, top 20, and Sun JM to go back-to-back in his own right at the Honda Classic. To be fair, just got to throw this out there, I never condone taking a golfer with minus odds anywhere. But you got to think Sanjay's probably a pretty good lock to top 20 unless something comes out of nowhere. One other thing I have to say is that I am going to feel like the biggest asshole ever if I don't pick Lee Westwood, but I'm not going to. So I I don't see him continuing this run um, that he's been on. He's got to be hung over at some point from all the champagne he's drinking. And you know, we talked about it earlier. I don't know how much he's not—he's celebrating not winning. But when you make that kind of money, eventually you got to be like, "All right, I can take my foot off the gas pedal a little bit." I did so for to be fair. For the record, I did want to pick him to top five or top ten, but I didn't because I know how this shit works. Well, I did see a report that he's actually with his son. His son's going to be on the bag at Augusta, and he's actually with his son this week before the Honda Classic yeah, playing, playing at Augusta. Augusta. So my mind tells me he's not that locked into the Honda Classic, so I think that's a good pick to fade this week. Shitty life, it sounds like, though. Yeah, fucking playing Augusta. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us again this week. Like I said earlier on the pod last time, but we got so many awesome things coming up for you guys in DNVR Golf this year. This summer's going to be a blast. We got things I can't necessarily talk about yet. Uh, almost spilled the beans there, but we got some things we're going to release here in the next couple weeks, so keep following along. Um, we got worldwide listeners to this podcast, our listeners in Germany, we got listeners in Austria, so we appreciate the support all year. We got some dope merch possibly dropping soon. We got uh, live from live from the DNVR bar Sunday at the Masters coming soon, so stick with us. This year is going to be great. Once this 24 to 48 inches of snow melts, we're going to be back on the golf course uh, making videos and content for you guys. So we appreciate you sticking with us. That's We're the Golf Bros. Follow us on Twitter at DNVR underscore golf. I am at Big Drive Spence. He is at Big Drive Mitch. We will talk to y'all next week. Peace. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>